Hello, and welcome to the Fan America podcast. I'm your host, Mark Pajarski, and you're listening to a podcast that's all about you, the American soccer fan. Welcome to the Fan America Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bujarski. And if I sound a little bit giddy today, let me tell you, it is for good reason. We have an absolutely massive guest for you today. You may know his work as a writer contributor to MLSsoccer.com and The Athletic, or as one of the co-hosts of the Total Soccer Show. That is right, everybody. Today, we are interviewing Joe Lowry. Joe is a force in the American soccer landscape, uh, lending tremendous tactical insight to both MLS and U.S. soccer, and it was an absolute honor and privilege to interview him about his fandom and how he sees the American game. We had a lot of fun in the interview uh, talking about uh, topics ranging from the Phoenix soccer scene to Pixar to why Canada might be the U.S. men's national team's biggest rival in the future. It was a ton of fun. I think you'll be able to hear that in the interview. So without further ado, let's throw it to the interview with Joe Lowry. All right. Well, I want to welcome to the show a very special guest, uh, an honored guest, um, if, uh, if you are familiar with the American soccer scene, then you know the name, uh, Joe Lowry. Um, he is a writer contributor to MLSsoccer.com, The Athletic, and, uh, most importantly, uh, to listeners of this show, The Total Soccer Show. Um, <laughs> so Joe, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to have you here. Mark, thank you so much for having me. Well, that introduction was far too kind. I really appreciate being able to come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, um... For a little bit of background here uh, to the three listeners that we've got, um, Joe Lowry uh, was a huge, um, I guess, support, encouragement in, in starting the podcast. Um, I didn't know anything about doing that, and so I got to bug uh, Joe quite a bit about little questions here and there, and he was very uh, gracious to answer some of those, um, so... Thank you, Joe, for that. So it yeah. kind of come full circle now. Absolutely. Uh, getting to have you on the show. Well, um, Joe, what we want to do here is we just we want to get to know you a little bit, um, both as a soccer uh, me- member of the soccer media as well as a soccer fan. Uh, so j- let's just start with the beginning. What are your earliest memories of watching, playing, being involved in the soccer world? And, and how did that kind of come about? Sure. I I mean, I think I share a lot of the classic American introduction to the sport in that I played it as a small child and then forgot it existed for quite some time and then started playing it again (laughs) later on. Um, More for fun, I played it a little bit in high school and all of those things, and I wasn't nearly as good as I wish I was at that point. I wish, thinking back on it now, that I'd stuck with it, right, and how much better I would have been. But really, me falling in love with soccer came from watching rather than from playing, which 
I, maybe that's maybe that's a little unique. Maybe it's not something. I mean, maybe maybe a lot of people share that. I don't know. But what's always fascinated me about sports is the strategic element, and I hope that comes across in a lot of the things I do, whether it's TSS or, or writing. I really like figuring out why good teams are good, why teams that aren't so good aren't so good, and, and everything in between. So using you know film and data and all of those things. So that's always fascinated me about sports, not just soccer, but but American football and basketball and even baseball, a lot of the other American, more American classics, to be honest with you. But what really got me into soccer was a couple things. I think I was kind of late to the game in a lot of respects. Um, a big moment for me was when Phoenix Rising rebranded and they went from being Arizona United to Phoenix Rising. I'm, I'm an Arizona guy born and raised here. I'm recording from Phoenix right now. That was huge for me, getting to to realize that, oh, there's some interest in this team that's been irrelevant, like completely irrelevant in American sports for so long. It reignited an interest and a passion in me to to care about soccer and to want to learn more about it. So that was huge. And then international tournaments as well did a lot for me. And I'm guessing that's something a lot of other people can relate to. Thinking about World Cups, the Euros, I mean, all of the Copa America, all of these AFCONs happening right now as we're recording this tournament. They just finished the group stage today. Absolutely crazy. And it's so much fun, right? It's so much fun. There's nothing that I like in soccer from a competition standpoint more than an international tournament. And I hope someday in, in North and Central America, the Gold Cup can be as relevant as other tournaments are around the world, in, in Europe and South America and Africa even. We're not there yet, but it's those things that really caught my eye and, and made me realize this is so much bigger than Phoenix. This is so much bigger than the United States. This is, like, it's happening everywhere, and there's so many different teams, and there's so much information, and I can nerd out on all of this stuff. And so between Phoenix Rising and, and some tournaments that are happening before then and obviously after then as well, all of those things kind of led me to really caring about soccer and, and wanting to do this thing for a job. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, growing up in the Phoenix area, I'm not, uh, I've never really been to that area. Um, so I, I guess I don't know the soccer scene, but uh, having a team like Phoenix Rising there, local, someone you can support, go and, and see the games. Um, sounds like that was a pretty important part of, of your development as a fan. Uh, how does that then transition to you being a tactics guy? Mm. And and if I'm not mistaken, kind of getting your start writing about what Phoenix Rising was doing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was big. I started my own website and, and started really covering Phoenix Rising for an entire season and, and a little bit before and after that as well. But I, I mean, I went to, I think, every single home game and, and covered the away games as well from home, obviously. That was that was big for me, getting a chance to do that and learn the day-to-day elements of media. The soccer scene in Arizona is an interesting one, and I, I probably don't have as good of a perspective on it as a lot of other people do, but, but at least from my perspective, youth soccer is big here. Youth soccer is really, really big here. Um, in all sorts of ethnic groups and, and population groups, right? So we get a lot of that, and, and that's a huge thing. The, the challenge had been, okay, what comes after youth soccer, right? I mean, college soccer is not really all that big here, although you know, it's, it's starting to become a little bit larger if college soccer really can become all that much larger. <laughs> that's been a thing, and, and there was the the only really next pathway as I saw it in the past, was the RSL Academy out in Casa Grande that, that now is no longer affiliated with Real Salt Lake. It's, it's now the Barca Residency Academy, and I, I've been out there in, in plenty of times and, and seen lots of games there. That was really the only 
next step you think okay well maybe if I'm at that RSL Academy I'm going to go play for the first team and, and the players did that right Brooks Lennon did that uh Aaron Herrera I think did that Richie Ledesma spent time there I mean a lot of really quality players and even coaching names Greg Vanny had spent time there and, and I think maybe even helped develop some of that Freddie Juarez there's names there that are not giant global names but certainly big names in American soccer for youth development so there was that pathway, but not a whole lot more than that. So when Phoenix Rising comes in, they still don't have a great grasp on the market. Um, but but they are establishing themselves as one of the best teams and one of the top clubs, most ambitious clubs in the USL Championship. When they come in, there's an opportunity for them to unite Phoenix a little bit in how people look at soccer. It, it's a little bit more complicated because of where Phoenix is geographically. You get a lot of people with different fandoms. You get a lot of Liga MX fans. You get a lot of U.S. Men's National Team fans. So there is somewhat a divide, somewhat of a divide. But having that local club, it changes things a little bit. Having some someone that people can really unite around changes them. So getting a chance to watch Phoenix Rising more and really care about that team, and then transitioning into covering them and, and stowing my fandom away for a while, and, and I still haven't reunited that quite in the same way as I had before. But getting a chance to watch this team and really wonder firsthand. Why is this team that I care about playing this way? Or why is this team that I care about having so much success? Like, what is the motivating factors here? How are they building this roster? Then all of a sudden, there's a real reason for me to to care and want to have answers to all these strategic and tactical questions. And then from there, it kind of expanded into U.S. soccer, right? U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team. And now a little bit broader with MLS, which I think is where I spend most of my time between that and the national team. So it's it really is a combination of factors that led me to care about Phoenix Rising, number one, and to care about soccer in the way that I, I really care about it and, and love it. Um, but the growth of soccer here in the U.S. and in Arizona specifically, I think, does play a really big part in that. Yeah. Yeah, so you you get your start covering uh, Phoenix Rising. Um, you said you kind of had to, to stow away your fandom and maybe haven't necessarily um, – that hasn't necessarily come back yet. Um I wonder from your perspective as somebody who does cover the game, um, you know, and from a lot of different outlets uh, and gets to cover a lot of different teams and leagues. uh, What is it like as somebody who maybe doesn't have the, um, I guess the rooting interests that some of us uh, might have, how does that affect the way that you cover the game? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky to find the balance between supporting and, and covering, and I, I guess I always err towards the side of caution in that I feel like it's better to stow away some of the, the passion and the fandom for those moments. So it, it is a tricky balance, and I think there's lots of different opinions about how to do that. But really, I mean, there's so many avenues now still for me to find enjoyment in soccer, and, and I, I don't think I could do this if I still didn't like the sport. One thing that I've always appreciated, it is sort of, weird and also nice for me that Phoenix Rising covers both of these avenues but I really appreciate teams that play good soccer right I mean Phoenix Rising I'm guessing a lot of folks out there haven't spent a ton of time watching them but I mean they they check a lot of the boxes under Rick Schantz 4-3-3 which is less important than how you're playing but they, they play that classic Barcelona shape and you've got a lot of those influences and in how Schantz views the game three central midfielders all at least at two eights are technical and the wingers are really skillful and the fullbacks are pushing forward. They want to dominate the ball, but they're also willing to attack in transition. I mean, they check a lot of those stylistic boxes that I really do look for in teams that I think are fun to watch and engaging to spend time thinking about it and covering. So there's still lots of those avenues to, to enjoy the game. LAFC under Bob Bradley, I mean, checked all of those boxes and there's even a relationship (laughs) 
for a while between Phoenix Rising and, and LAFC, and they were loaning players, LAFC, to Phoenix. Tristan Blackman spent time on loan there, and now he's with Vancouver. Peter Lee Vassell had spent time there, although I don't, he's no longer in Major League Soccer at this point. But a number of names from the, the lower pieces of LAFC's roster spent time out here because there was stylistic similarities, and they could have that working relationship. So it does make being a soccer fan weird, and I'm not fully sure how to navigate that yet at this point. Maybe I'll figure it out over time. But it makes being a fan weird, but finding enjoyment in the game is still super easy, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I ask because uh, obviously the the heart of the podcast is about fandom. Yeah. Um, and I have found personally as a soccer fan, um, obviously listeners of the podcast <laughs> will know Tottenham, <laughs> um, but also Sporting Kansas City, uh, mm. repping the shirt right now. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I struggle to to watch games uh, featuring Tottenham and, and Sporting Kansas City from a neutral perspective mm. and and not allow my biases my frustrations to <laughs> color the way that I I see the the way they play so and I imagine most fans of a team would struggle in that same way um, just because of the emotional investment there so as somebody who covers the sport as you do um, not having that rooting interest, I imagine, helps in a lot of ways. But um, as you cover MLS, we'll, we'll start with MLS. Sure. Because uh, I've got such a heart <laughs> for for this funny little league. Um, but as you cover MLS, have you found yourself uh, more attracted to hmm. certain teams, certain situations? Um, and what have those been? Yeah. No, that's, that's a great question. I think... LAFC is a great example for me. It's no longer really an example at this point because under Bob Bradley, they had this style of play that made them, I think, the most fun team to watch maybe ever in Major League Soccer. The only other one that I think, the only other two maybe is Toronto FC with Jovinko and Josie and Victor Vasquez and under Greg Vanny a few years back. And then Atlanta United under Tata Martino. All of these teams as the league is growing coming in more recent years. But as those coaches have each all moved on and as those rosters have changed they sort of go back into the mix of everybody else. So so for me, it's highly dependent on how they're playing and, and what the personalities are and, and who the coaches are and how they want to dictate how their teams are playing. SKC is a great example. I really enjoy watching Sporting Kansas City under Peter Vermees. I think he's done a great job with that team. He's one of the legendary figures in Major League Soccer. And a big reason why I appreciate it so much is because of how they play, because of his convictions on how soccer should be played. If I, if I think about Sporting Kansas City, it's really easy for me to picture like how they might set up in possession and how they're going to move the ball. They're going to be in that 4-3-3 shape almost all the time. There's going to be some positional rotations. Johnny Russell's going to be on that right side causing problems. I mean, all of those things, it's a bummer, right? It's a huge bummer that they're going to be without Alan Polito this season. And that is a massive hit because he fits exactly. I know, I know, Mark. I'm sorry to bring it up. He fits exactly <laughs> in that style of a play for Peter Vermees as that nine can, can drop in and do all of those great technical things in midfield. So SKC, even without Polito, are absolutely an example for me. NYCFC, I think, is another one that I've really come to appreciate uh, uh, beginning under Patrick Vieira in Major League Soccer. And that era, I think, was really enjoyable in transitioning into Dome Torrent and then, and then transitioning now into Ronnie Dyla, a name that I don't think a lot of MLS fans had, had spent much time thinking about. I certainly hadn't. Coming over from Celtic in the Scottish Premier League, which is a big name, nonetheless, in terms of a club, yeah. but 
his name wasn't all that large as, as this Norwegian manager coming in to fill a, 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 a legend in the soccer world in the Premier League and all over Europe and Patrick Vieira and then Domi Torrent, who's really highly regarded in those a lot of those same spheres because of his time with Pep. Then you bring in Ronnie Dyla and you're thinking, well, I'm thinking, what exactly is going on here? But he's done a great job and yeah. they win MLS Cup this past year. They're the analytics darling of Major League Soccer. It's those kinds of stories and those kinds of playing styles and things that I can really come to appreciate where you know, you do sort of develop a real enjoyment, if not a direct fandom. Like, I don't know that I feel incredibly passionate about any of those teams because it is so transitory, right? When those figures leave or when they fall off, they become less fun to watch. And that's sort of the luxury, I guess, that that maybe I have relative to a lot of fans is at least outside of my, my local club and, and outside maybe the national team. You can put away those things, and when Toronto are, are shambolic underneath Chris Armas, I don't have to sweat it, where those Toronto fans, they're they're pulling their hair out. So it is, I guess in some ways, a nice spot to be in, but in other ways, it, it does get a little challenging sometimes. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, um, covering, as you and Taylor do on the Total Soccer Show, the U.S. national teams, both men's and women's, um, one significantly easier to cover than the other <laughs> as far as success goes. Yes. Um, uh, when you cover the national team, now obviously you're a fan, uh, you and Taylor both. Um, how does that change then? Um, <laughs> I know the so, – so for those who may not know, the Total Soccer Show, the reason I bring them up all the time is because there's such an, uh, uh, an inspiring and informative uh, part of my soccer fandom – but for years has done hot take, quick take reviews after the games, which are a little more emotional, and then more measured, uh, long form uh, reviews of, of the games. So uh, now that you're a part of this, uh, as a fan of the national team, how, how do you balance being a fan of the United States and then watching us go out and uh, one, not qualify <laughs> uh, in Trinidad, or two, uh, under Greg Bearhalter, um, play maybe more tactically astute styles of soccer, but then kind of fall flat on our face yeah. in Central America. It's weird, right? It's so weird, and it's again, it's so hard to find that balance. I I like to think that there's really only two or three teams really that that make me nervous when they play, and I think that's sort of how you tell if you're a fan, right? <laughs> Is are, how emotionally invested are you? How you know how much are you on the edge of your seat? And Phoenix Rising is is one of those, even though it's not the same now. I think at least I, tr- I try to suppress it at, at least at times. That's one of them, and then the other two are the U.S. national teams, and it's a lot easier being a fan of the women's national team in terms of quality. You're absolutely right about that, Mark. The Olympics, <laughs> notwithstanding, and I do think there there may yeah. be some issues there that that uh, that Vlako really needs to address, and I'm not sure he's going to. But setting that aside, with the national team, with the men's national team that Taylor and I do probably spend the most time talking about, it's it's strange to find the right mix of of fandom and, and passion while also still trying to look at things through a media lens, a just and fair and more of a journalistic perspective, it's not easy to strike that chord. And I really do appreciate what Taylor and Daryl built in the the formats that they presented. You just ran through a mark going through and doing more of an immediate post-game reaction and, and going through those things. And it's a little bit more raw. It's much less structured. We'll have a quick run through beforehand of, of maybe some quick bullet points and and then we can really dive back in and do the rewatch after. And that rewatch is key in a lot of ways. And even just coming into a game with this this perspective of 
I'm watching this almost more analytically. I'm watching this to really analyze what's going on. Almost when when I put on my analysis hat, and I don't want to speak for Taylor, but I, I bet he feels somewhat similarly. When you put that hat on and watch a game through that perspective, it becomes a little easier to set the the red, white, and blue color glasses aside because hmm. your task at that point is not to like support your team. Your task at that point, like for us to do the show and the way we want to do it, is to figure out what happened and why it happened. And we don't always get there. I mean, we, we probably don't get there more often. We probably don't get there more often than we do get there, right? But hopefully we get close most of the time and, and we learn some things or at least have some theories and hypotheses along the way. So for me, when I put that hat on, when I put that analysis hat on, and sometimes it's hard to take it off, but when I put that hat on, I'm really trying to think, okay, why is this happening and, and how would I be watching this game if it was Canada and El Salvador instead of the U.S. and El Salvador? How would I be watching it if it's Honduras playing Jamaica instead of the U.S. playing Jamaica? Like what would I think then – can I be more objective here than I might be if I was just watching it the first time through or just watching it from a fan perspective? So that's that's the 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 road we try to walk along. That's the rope we try to make it across. I don't know that we always strike the right chord, but I, I think I think we get close. Yeah, and and I'll say uh, as a fan of both um, soccer and as a uh, fan of the Total Soccer Show, I, I I think I speak for many when I say that that balance is. You maybe not always perfectly achieved, but certainly always strove for. <laughs> um, that's that's something that we appreciate. Um, like I know there's there's no shortage of screaming into the social media yeah. void yeah. when things are going poorly, and there's a balance that has to be achieved when you're trying to honestly evaluate mm-hmm. the performance from a national team, um, because you know from from your guys's perspective, I imagine, you're not only trying to evaluate the performance as unbiased as you can, but you are also fans, sure, and you want to see the United States succeed. And in that, you're trying to be realistic in what the United States does and does not do well, yeah. what it can be, what it should be, maybe even, but also with just the reality of where it is. Um, like it's it. The quick take hot takes are great because you do get to see the frustrations that exist. <laughs> you know, like I, I I was tweeting during I believe it was the Honduras away oh, game yep. where we yep. went one nil down. To say. And I was like, you know, I'm I'm like fuming. I'm on Twitter and I'm like, man, if Bear Halter doesn't turn this around, fire him. Like yeah. but like from a from a just an honest perspective, like that isn't necessarily the most constructive way of viewing things. Sure. I mean, results matter. Obviously, Jurgen figured that out. Um, but but at the same time, like you burn it down and you start over again and it doesn't always work out like it yeah. did. Yeah. It didn't in 2017. So when you guys come into, you know, let's let's take the, the upcoming, uh, the one I'm worried most about is the Canada game away. Yep. Um, so as you guys are approaching this game and getting um, – a feel for uh, you know how the coverage is going to be um where is that balance for you personally of the united states has to win this game needs to win this game i need the united states to win this game and the realistic of like okay well if they they took a point on the road to canada that's a you know i guess a moral victory it's it's for me it's like looking at the ideal and then looking at what is still okay like like what is 
the best case scenario, and that is three points on the road in Hamilton in the freezing cold. And oh my gosh, I don't know how they're going to be able to manage that. And Minneapolis and Ohio. I mean, it is yeah. it is not ideal as far as the weather goes. And I, I have some questions about the decision making process for some of those games. But anyway, it's what is the ideal, and is that achievable? And, and for the U.S., yeah, it's absolutely possible to get three points on the road in Canada, even more so without Alfonso Davies with with Canada. So that's yeah. that is an option, and that would be great for the U.S. men's national team. But still, thinking about it logically, which is where I come back a lot of the time, I think, I don't know, I think it's more my personality. If they don't win that game, and even if they get zero points in that game, which is obviously the worst case scenario, then it's it's still okay, right? You've, you've got a game on either side of that, both home games. You've got two games flanking that Canada game. There's an opportunity there to get points. Those games almost, I feel like, are more pressure-filled for the U.S. And I'm, I'm maybe even more inclined to put a specific kind of pressure on the U.S. in those particular games from how I talk about them, because you expect to take care of business at home, right? I mean, that's the reality of this region. The U.S. is at a point right now where they should stop accepting to be mediocre on the road in CONCACAF. They are. But Canada is not El Salvador. Canada is not on the road to Honduras. That's a different team. They're good. Even without Alfonso Davies, they're really good. John Urban's done a fantastic job there. So you lose that game. Yeah, it's it's not exactly where you want to be because the U.S. wants to own this region. And, and when you lose games against Canada, when you lose games against Mexico, which the U.S. hasn't done a whole lot recently, which is great for them. <laughs> but when you lose those games, it, it's harder to present yourself as the kings of CONCACAF. And I, that is something that's important to this U.S. team, logically. But you lose that game and you think, okay, well, that's all right. This Canada team's really darn good. We'll catch them the next time, but let's go take care of business against El Salvador. Let's go take care of business in our return game home, like three days after this Canada game, right? So yeah. in a sense, that's the, the balance that I try to strike between three points here in, in, in Hamilton, Ontario is great, but it's not the end of the world if those three points don't come. It maybe is closer to the end of the world if you're getting three points out of the whole window. At that point, you look at things a little more holistically and try to figure out where you desperately need those points. Right now, I'm not sure the U.S. desperately needs those points in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think I think for a lot of national team fans, it's it's just a pride thing with Canada. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, you know, they're, you know, they've been like the redheaded stepchild of <laughs> CONCACAF for, for decades, at least in the men's game. And it's always been USA-Mexico, USA-Mexico, one, two, you know, that's that's the rival but now all of a sudden Canada is a real competitor in the region and and I I think for myself personally it's been hard to square that Mm. with the reality that like well maybe maybe the U.S. biggest challenge is not Mexico it might be yeah it might be it's (laughs) it's crazy to think about and this is one of those teams Mark that I've also developed a bit of a soft spot for in terms of how they play and the personalities they have. John Herdman's a really interesting guy walking around wearing his AirPod, escorting. I didn't realize this, but in, I think it was the last round of of qualifying in November, he escorted uh, a pitch invader off the field. I mean, he's just this crazy energetic presence on the sideline, and he has them playing really good soccer. Then you've got Davies, who yeah. I'm bummed in a way, in, in a way that he won't be involved. And obviously, hope the myocarditis isn't especially extreme, and that he's back for Byron and for Canada soon. But Davies is incredible. He's, I think, by far the best player in this entire region. Tejon Buchanan's a great story, a great player. Uh, Steven Estacchio at the base of midfield is lovely to watch. Mark Anthony K, I really enjoy. Kamal Miller, Alistair Johnson in the back, really play on either side of, of Stephen Vittoria in the back three. They're so much fun to watch. And so that's another team that I really 
begun to enjoy and, and want to follow more closely. You think about the Gold Cup where they play Mexico really close and they get a draw at the Azteca and then they beat Mexico at home. They, they, beat, uh, they, they get a point excuse me, against uh, the U.S. in Nashville. This team's doing things. They're making some real waves in this region. And so from that perspective, the pride that you're mentioning from the, from the fan point of view and even what these players are feeling, they do desperately want to win this game. So it's hard to, to find that, I don't know, hard to find the connection between players desperately wanting this and, and really being important in a way to win this game with, with also the other side being there's still six points even if you don't get those, those three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, I was not expecting to enjoy Canada whatsoever. Right. Um, but I, we got the opportunity to go to the, the Gold Cup game in Kansas City. And other than the fact that we scored in like 10 seconds. Sure. And it was on our end, so it was even better. Um, but what I found surprising about the game was even without, I believe, Jonathan David and uh, – Oh man, I don't think I'm, Davies was there either. I mean, I think it was yeah, at least those two guys Davies, were missing. And then who's the other striker? Um, Laren was Laren there? I, yes. I can't. I can't remember. I don't think Laren was there. Okay, so that, I mean they're missing like th- two or three of their better players, and they still just dominated long stretches of that game, um, and it was frustrating, but also interesting to see. Obviously, the United States is fielding, uh, especially in that game, like maybe a B-minus team, um, but like one that, personally, I would have expected us to still just run them over, Mm. and that was absolutely not the case. They were very, very like uh, resolute in their defending. They held possession well. Um, They pinned the U.S. back for most of that game, and it was... It was something to behold. It was. But, it really was. <laughs> well, Joe, uh, there is there's one specific thing that I wanted to get to with you here on the show because I, when I think of this, I think of of Joe C. Lowry. <laughs> I so as we've already gone over, been listening to the Total Soccer Show for over a decade now. Um, when you first started making appearances on the show, and I actually went back and listened to some of those episodes in preparation for this podcast. When you were first making appearances on the Total Soccer Show, um, you you brought a, I would say, a very different perspective on the game than what most, I would say, Total Soccer Show listeners were used to with Daryl and Taylor. Um, they're very tactically astute guys, but tactics and analytics in particular was not a huge feature of the Total Soccer Show prior. And I'll admit, at first... I was skeptical, Joe. I was skeptical. Who is this guy bringing all this math into <laughs> soccer? And uh, I'll tell you, it took me a little bit, but I'm I'm a convert, man. I'm yes. a believer. I believe in the analytics. <laughs> I obviously somewhat limited in in what they can actually tell you, but certainly help us paint a picture. So I, I'm curious because the two I think. How do, how do I want to put this? As a fan, I think experience probably trumps everything else mm. when it comes to evaluating uh, your team, your perspective, what makes you love the game. But I think more and more, especially from a, a media perspective, analytics can help, I think, right some wrongs, help fill in the gaps in a lot of ways, correct us. Um, when we have 
perceptions of, of how our team or certain player is doing things. So as, as a tactic-y guy, as your, your Twitter bio says, as, your, as Mr. Analytics, <laughs> I want to know how has analytics, how has actually diving into XG, expected assists, all those advanced sure. analytics that I can't even begin to, to think of, how has that helped you appreciate the game more? Oh, that is a phenomenal question, Mark. I like that a lot. And I'm glad to hear that you're more open to analytics now than you might have been before. That's great, honestly, because I do sometimes wonder if I'm shouting into a void a little bit. I don't do a lot of shouting, but talking into a void maybe on TSS. But that's awesome. Like, that's really, really cool. I'm I'm learning along with a lot of the rest of you all out there as well. Like, there's so much more. Maybe it's because of the people I follow on Twitter that are actual data scientists and do that do the specific data stuff for a living but i feel like man at times i feel like i don't know anything that's going on in that space but i do i I know more i think than a lot of other people out there and i I have some expertise in that field so that is a really important thing and it's helped me enjoy the game more because i think it pairs so well with almost every other element of soccer so much of the discourse around analytics is maybe maybe we're moving past this i hope we have is you know analytics versus eye test And, and you can either enjoy watching soccer because it's, it's artistic and fun, or you can enjoy it and go watch it on a spreadsheet, right? I, I hope we've gotten past that sort of... For me, they're not opposed. Those things don't go against each other. The eye test directly... I mean, so many stats are taken from people watching the game and writing them down. That's the definition of the eye test. They're not... They don't go against each other. In a lot of ways, data makes my, my life so much easier. It makes being able to write about soccer easier and, and more fun because I can cover different topics that I might not have time to watch all you know, 30 games that the Colorado Rapids played last season. But I can dig through some of the numbers and then go watch some specific things and, and go through that way. So it makes, makes soccer enjoyable for me in a few different ways, but at least one being I can talk about more of it. And if I can talk about more soccer and learn more about it like and, and learn about different parts of it, that's great. Like That's so much of why I love doing this whole thing in the first place. So that's a big part of it. I think like you said, Mark, I like how you phrased it. It does help fill in the gaps, and that's that's maybe that's maybe what I'm trying to get out here, and you just said it so succinctly. It's that idea of of me not being able to do all of the soccer watching in, in the 24-hour days that we've got, but it helps fill in some of those blanks that I can't hit because there's just not enough time. So I really like that, and I just I like numbers. I like, I like those things. It's helpful for me to have more concrete things involved. I was talking with a friend recently, and we were talking about like lists, like lists of favorite actors, like lists of favorite movies. I, I'm almost like paralyzed by indecision when it comes to those things. I know it's just for fun. How do I pick? How do I pick my favorite movie? Okay, I do have a favorite movie. It's The Incredibles, by the way. I'm a big Pixar guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like, there's so many of those things that I, I can't rank. And so having some of that more empirical evidence and using it along with film and using it along with personal interactions and experience and, and all of those things they work together so well to give me a better understanding of, of soccer. And that, for me, is is a huge part of why I enjoy this game. Yeah, absolutely. That's I think that's what's helped me appreciate analytics more is just it puts like a tangible uh, or maybe a touching point to some of the things that I, as a fan, just see. You know, for example, like, I mean, Harry Kane – I mean, my, my father, um, (laughs) I'm, I'm older than him. It's weird. (laughs) 
I like I watch games and I'm like that guy's 26 and I can uh, you know I'm I'm like the senior to his freshman and it's weird but oh, anyway that's Harry Kane's still my dad sure um, sure but when you look at Harry Kane this season uh, statistically goals and assists wise a massive downturn mm-hmm. from last season where he led both categories in the Premier League but I imagine if you look at some of his deeper analytics um, there's going to be it's obviously going to be lower than what what he's been um, production wise, but but you get a bitter a bigger picture of, I guess what he does on mm. the field. Yeah. For example, uh, last night I forget who it was. I saw on Twitter maybe like Paul Merson or somebody like that. Um, one of the grumpy old English guys, b- almost blaming uh, Harry Kane for. Tottenham almost losing that game against Leicester. <laughs> and it's just like, well, if he just take his chances, they'd have won. And it's mm. like, well, yeah, like, it's but they kind of did still right. win. Right. And he scored and he assisted. But when you watch the game, you see Harry Kane dropping deep into deeper positions. Um, I mean, obviously, like the the game winning pass to Bergvine yeah. comes from him coming deep to receive that pass from Hjoibert, turning and playing pretty much an inch perfect through ball to Bergvine to, to get onto. And it's stuff like that. And I mean, that's not advanced analytics. You can see that with the eye, Sure, but, but you can look at the advanced analytics and you can see, even if somebody's in a bit of a dry spell goals and assists wise, they're still producing in ways that maybe isn't appreciated in uh, your classic match report kind mm. of um, review of a game. Yeah. So that's really what has been, the turning point for me with analytics is it, it gives me a deeper insight into uh, the game that, that even because, I mean, nobody can watch every game every week unless you're Graham Ruthven, but, but at the same time, like you don't have to, because you can, like you said, you're not going to watch every Colorado Rapids game this season, but you can get a feel for what they are as a team and what individual players on that team are by looking at those analytics over a decent sample size rather than just like one game or something like that. Yeah. So that's huge. It's, it's so huge. And I think it, it pairs really well with watching games and and wanting to watch more. And I, I love your point about, you know, getting a more complete understanding of players, right? How, I don't, maybe this is just me and my nerdy sense. How cool is that? Right. To get a better grasp. And then it gives you things to watch for, right? If I'm watching Yunus Musa and I'm like, well, what, what does he do so well? And then you go and look at some of the numbers and wow, he likes to carry the ball forward on the dribble. And, and then you go and you can keep your eyes out for that. And maybe it's the other way around. And you notice that when you're watching games, you go look at the stats and realize, yeah, that I was right. That is something he, he's apparently really good at relative to his peers. You can just get more complete understanding of, of teams and of players. And, and for me, that enriches watching games. Maybe that's not true for everyone, and that's okay. Like, enjoy soccer how you want to enjoy it because it is a game and it's supposed to be fun. But for me, and I bet for a lot of other people out there, and it sounds like for you, Mark, to a certain degree at least, like there's an enjoyment that comes from getting more insight into these things. And that's where really all the analytics are. It's another tool to help us learn more about what's going on on the field. Yeah. And I'm sure anybody who's played the game um, at any level, I've, I mean, I've played at the lowest of low levels um, myself, but I'm sure on a personal level, if you were in that situation at a professional level with, as a player, you know, instinctively that you do more on the field than what you get credit for. Yeah. And soccer is, soccer is a sport that does not lend itself to stats very well. 
it's goals and assists. It's maybe completed passes, you know, and then you can get into the nitty gritty of like defensive or offensive or actions, goal create goal creating, you know, opportunities, stuff like that. But like, if I'm, if I'm a defensive right back playing at, uh, you know, the championship level, you know, I'm not probably not going to score a lot of goals or assists. And, but I know that like my coach is giving me instructions on how best to help the team win. And I do a lot on the field that is going to go unnoticed, but those advanced statistics, those analytics, Mm -hmm. they're going to paint a picture of me as a player that is more true to the reality than when an eye test could. Cause nobody goes to a game and says, unless, I mean, unless you're Alfonso Davies, right. nobody's going to a game and saying, let me watch that right back. Right. You know, like, let me keep a Let me keep a close eye on what he's doing the whole game. So yeah, uh, just a test one testimony of uh, an analytics convert. Amazing. Uh, for you there. Joe. <laughs> I love it. Well, Joe, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do want to ask you, uh, one question that uh, I try and hit on with everybody, and that is just as a fan, what is a moment or a couple of moments as a fan watching the national team or uh, just in American soccer, international soccer, what stands out? What made you a fan? Mm. Um, the moments that stick by you, like uh, Donovan's goal against Algeria is one that comes mm. up quite a bit. Or um, yeah, one One that I'll... One that I'll never forget is Van Persie's header for the Netherlands in I, – shoot, now I'm blanking on entirely on who the S- opponent was. Spain. Spain. Okay, that's what my gut said. But that header against Spain, I'll never forget watching that. I was actually – okay, that's okay. That's why my gut said it. I was actually in Spain at the time. Not like out and about, but just more so watching the game um, from, from an Airbnb. But I'll never forget that. I'm, I'm pretty sure – you could hear, maybe it's a coincidence, but you could hear people around that area like yelling, right? Just in their own houses, right? That that gives you this idea of how important that moment is and how ridiculous the goal was from Van Persie. It was a mix of not just frustration that Spain had conceded, but also this understanding of, holy cow, did that just happen, right? Did that goal just go actually off of his head while he's diving and basically parallel to the ground and find the back of the net? That goal, watching that TV and that, that moment, I don't think I'll ever forget, even though maybe I didn't, the most, I didn't do the most convincing job of painting that picture. But, like, that moment is insane. I don't think there's a single one for me that can top that. It's weird because I don't have any real tie to the Netherlands. I don't really have any real tie to, to Van Persie or anything like that. But that goal, something something different happened on that goal, and it's incredible. Another one, this one didn't make me a fan, but just a moment that I'll never forget and reminds me of why I love soccer is that goal from Zlatan Ibrahimovic for the Galaxy against LAFC, where he hits it over Tyler Miller from 80 bajillion yards out. I mean, the call from the the Fox Sports crew and just that moment in El Trafico. Strong. Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah, it's ridiculous, right? (laughs) Every part of that was perfect. You couldn't write a better story than that. And it's like, man, I, I love this game. Like, I love this sport, and I just want more people to like it too. And that's what I hope I can maybe do some of between, you know, TSS and, and writing and whatever else happens down the road. You know, it's it's awesome that we get to watch this stuff, and I just want more people to experience that. Yeah, amen. It is a sport li- unlike any other that could go from zero to 100 in a <laughs> moment. And I'm glad you pointed out the Van Persie header because I remember it clearly. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just the incredible acrobatics of that moment, but 
that was the death nail for Spain, the defending yeah. world champions. And the Netherlands came out of nowhere and well, it was four one or something like that, just blew them out. And that's the, that's the, you know, defining moment of that, uh, that game, I think yeah. uh, as Van Percy, but, but yeah, well, uh, Joe Lowry, I, man, cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. It truly is an honor and a privilege to have you here. Um, anything, uh, you want to plug anything, uh, sure. coming up down the shoot that listeners should be aware of? Yeah. I mean, first of all, Mark, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And this was a blast. Like I, I love chatting with you so much fun. Um, and yeah, I mean, really anything that does come down the pipeline, the best way for you to hear about it is by following me on Twitter at Joe C Lowry. Um, other than that, that's really the only plug I need to do. I, I've been self-indulgent enough already, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> that for, for those who, um, you know, know or have followed Joe for a long time. Um, the C in Joe C. Lowry stands for cleats. Oh, absolutely. Um, My true a, middle just name. A refinement. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a refinement of the old Twitter handle. Uh, just had to make it a little more like LinkedIn friendly. Yep. Uh, you get it. Mark, you get me. <laughs> well, well, uh, Joe Cleats Lowry, I, once again, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate you a ton. And uh, hopefully we will uh, have you on again soon. Absolutely. Thank you again, Mark. I cannot thank Joe Lowry enough for coming on the show and lending us uh, a little bit of insight into what it is like to be a member of the media, but also a fan of the game and some of his origins into becoming a fan of the game of soccer. Uh, Joe is a true gentleman and a scholar. If you're not following him on Twitter, I highly recommend it. Uh, He is very insightful with a splash of humor in there. If you're not listening to the Total Soccer Show, uh, it is a five-day-a-week podcast. We referenced it throughout the interview. What are you doing, man? Why aren't you listening? Go and subscribe, okay? You'll be better for it. I know. I'm a podcaster telling you to go listen to another podcast, but like, don't do it like right this second, but maybe after this podcast is over, you should like go and subscribe. Or Seriously, it's okay. You have my permission. Anyway, this podcast exists to tell the stories of American soccer fans, how they came to the game, the moments, the players, the craziness that brought them here. We want to tell your story. If you are interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at contactfanamerica at gmail.com. Tell me a little bit about your fandom, how you came to the game. We'll get you scheduled to be on the show. We want to tell your story, truly. But until then, I hope that you guys have enjoyed this interview. I've been your host, Mark Bajarski, and uh, until next time, peace.